The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mary Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mary's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified student state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, today our show is about growing older with finesse, enthusiasm, dignity, and all that good stuff. And if you're a student at the campus here, I'm sure your parents are getting older. But if you're driving by or if you're listening online and you happen to be a baby boomer or you know others, this book is really for everyone because you either are every day getting older, <laughs> we all are, or uh, you have someone and you're young and you feel like you're not ever going to get older, but you will, but you have family members who are. So this is a great book and I love it with great tools. So the name of this book that I've been reading is called Rejuvenaging, The Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. And this is by Dr. Ron Kaiser. Let me tell you a little bit about Ron, who's coming to us all the way from the East Coast, from Philadelphia. He is a licensed psychologist in Philadelphia, where he is in private practice, and he also serves as director of psychology at the uh, Jefferson Headache Center at the Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson University Hospital, one of the most prestigious headache centers in the world. In addition to serving on staff at both Jefferson and Methodist Hospitals, Dr. Kaiser is cl a clinical associate professor in the Department of Neurology at the Sidney Kimmel Medical College at Thomas Jefferson University. Now, you can find out more about him, see his picture, JPEG of his book, at conflicthealing.com, but also you can go to his website, thementalhealthgym.com. So thank you so much for joining us, Ron. Thank you for having me, Mari. Glad to be talking with you. Yeah, so it's fascinating, I think, the fact that you have been, you know, a professional for many, many years. You're a licensed psychologist. You have a private practice. You're director of all these programs. And, um, and yet you tell us that many of your most significant professional contributions have really taken place since the age of 70. Tell us about that. Okay, well, I think I always was a pretty good psychologist, good at helping people on a one-to-one -one basis, and I think I've made a lot of uh, impact on a lot of people's lives. But in terms of getting my ideas out into the world, that's really occurred since the age of 70. Uh, since that time, I established my website, the mental health gym. I also uh, had a couple of e-books published, uh, including one that expresses my philosophy, what can go right. Mm -hmm. uh, and then most recently, I've been uh, doing 
this work to try and spread the idea of active, healthy, positive aging to the population of people who are, as I call it, in, in their second half century of life. And that's what we cover in Rejuvenating, the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. So you wrote this book at age 80, right? So yes. how did that come about? How is it that you decided to write this? Well, it was a few years in the making, uh, as you've kind of indicated in your more than generous introduction, uh, I, I'm pretty active. I work full time. Uh, I also work out on a regular basis, going to the gym and so on. And my wife and I uh, go to uh, concerts, lectures. We're involved with our children and grandchildren. And uh, I looked around and saw too many people who really are not, um, are, are kind of just running out the clock, so to speak. They reach a certain age and they don't look forward to anything. Uh, and for many of them, the, the biggest part of the week was, is going to the doctor uh, or watching television. And I just felt that uh, there are a lot of a lot of people who do what I do, who are very active and very committed to staying healthy as long as they can, functioning positively as long as they can. But the, there, there wasn't a guide that I saw that could help people to know this and have this all in one place. And so I felt I had something to contribute. And after a while, it just kind of seemed almost like an obligation for me to get these ideas out into the world. No, I love it. And you know, there's so many people that I know that are like my age and they're retiring and they're, okay, so they're playing pickleball, which is great, you know, mm -hmm. but they're really yeah. not doing that much. They're not using their brain that much. And so, you know, my friends that are, you know, my age, the baby boomers, there's a lot of us that are doing the kinds of things that you're talking about, writing books. And, you know, my husband always kids that youth is wasted on the young, you know, <laughs> because I, I, you know, I always say, I, oh, if I only knew all this wisdom that I knew, you know, that I, that I have now, which, you know, I'm still growing, but if I only knew what I know now, 30 years ago, how wonderful would that be? <laughs> right? Yeah, so there wouldn't is, that wouldn't it be great? Uh, but, you know, we all have to uh, learn by experience. And, but now we're at the age where we have that, you know, insight maybe, and, and we don't have to just like constantly compete anymore. Now, we're, you know, at least for me, it's like, I want my spirit to soar and I want to do, I want to leave my legacy for whatever that is, you know, to help make the world a better place. And I think when you're so busy raising young kids and trying to make a living, you don't have time to really think about that. But when you're older and you have grandchildren, that's when maybe you have some time to think about that too, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I've always said growing older is not a spectator sport. Yes. You know, in order to be most effective, you really have to be actively involved in it. And now there is really good science to indicate that the brain actually changes uh, it, first of all, is capable of changing throughout the lifespan, and historically we didn't always know that. But we can create new neural pathways. Uh, the neurons can form throughout the lifespan, and there are 
activities that people can do, such as you're talking about, that can actually enhance this growth. And the, uh, the obvious other side of the coin is if you don't do it, you don't enhance the growth of the brain, uh, the health of the brain, and it really is very counterproductive to having uh, what could be a really satisfying time of life take place. Exactly. Now, in your book, I love it, you emphasize health and fitness, which I'm going back to my trainer starting, you know, tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, Intellectual functioning, which I'm constantly reading and trying to learn new things, and social involvement. And um, I try to uh, arrange things with friends. We go to plays. We go to the theater, whatever it is. And then how do these things contribute to positive brain development and help us to stay youthful? Well, there, there are several ways. First of all, um, we know, for example, that uh, not using something contributes to losing it. Right. You, there is the expression, <laughs> use it or lose it. Right. And the reality is that the brain declines without being used, you know, like any other uh, part of the body that that. If you've got a healthy brain, you want to be able to use it. Now, again, as I indicated, there is science that has proven that if you exercise on a regular basis, that that makes changes in the brain. Uh, Another aspect of health and fitness, meditation. Uh, The brains of meditators uh, uh, are different in a healthy way than people who don't meditate. People who eat properly, uh, less toxic foods, do uh, do much better brain-wise. You mentioned social activities. What we now know, for example, is that loneliness, uh, which is often a problem in, in the aging process, loneliness is right up there with obesity and smoking and sedentary lifestyle right. in terms of being a killer. Right. And of course, uh, you know, all of us worry about dementia and so on. One of the it's not a guarantee, but one of the best ways of holding it at bay is to stay intellectually active as long as we can. Exactly. And, you know, and having a, a pet to take care of, I know that that seems to be really important. I know we have two dogs and two birds, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, having yeah. a dog, you know, that's your fitness trainer. You have to walk the dog every day. My father-in-law yeah. is almost 90 and that dog says, you have to go walking with me. And so, you know, he goes and he walks a mile every day with the dog. So I think having a pet helps too, right? Yes, absolutely. Both from a physical fitness standpoint and just the nature of having somebody who you can do good for, someone who is dependent on you but can also cuddle with you uh, and so on, uh, really helps emotionally. So, yes, having a pet... uh, is is a real helpful thing as we go through the aging process. You've kind of multiplied it uh, by having multiple pets, so you should be especially healthy. <laughs> right. Well, you know, but even for the young people, what I worry about now, Ron, is that these kids, they're just constantly on on Twitter or on, you know, texting each other. They don't really connect by talking to each other. So it's it's not really the same kind of social interaction. And then so many of them are sedentary. I remember when I was a kid, we used to play outside. Now these kids play inside. So the things that we're talking about in terms of rejuvenating 
really apply to young people as well. Get out and exercise. Be with animals. Be with people. Socialize. Don't just sit on the computer. I think that is, um, you know, brain damaging as well, don't you think? Yes. Uh, one of the subsections uh, of my book is titled uh, Grow Old Early or something to that <laughs> yeah, effect. Right. That in essence, the same principles hold true. And, and on my website, uh, my website isn't devoted to the, the aging process. It's got general principles, most of which are the same as we've got in the book, except that I've tried to highlight uh, uh, specific issues with respect to the aging process. But you're absolutely correct. I mean, there's nothing magic about the fact that there is an, uh, an obesity epidemic. If people don't do things actively, uh, and, and then if you complicate it by not eating healthy, but if you don't do things actively, uh, you're not going to lose as much weight. You're not going to be as physically fit as if you are active. Right. And then, of course, your brain, that affects your brain as well. So Absolutely. all these things Absolutely. really apply to everybody, but, but especially those of us who worry about, oh, you know, for me, I always worry about my brain. I want my brain to be, uh, you know, my... My uh, ex-mother-in-law had Alzheimer's at the end, and, you know, I don't have it in my own family, but it's still scary for me. So that's one thing I'm trying constantly to make sure that I uh, learn a new language or I, I speak Spanish and I go to Mexico to make sure that I remember <laughs> what I've forgotten. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's, uh, I mean, that's uh, in addition to the, the fun of going to Mexico and right. things of this nature, the, the fact is that uh, you really, if you systematically develop ways of improving your intellectual functioning, of staying active, I mean, that's, you want as much going for you as, as possible at this age. And uh, there's a lot that you can control in that regard. Right, right. So let's talk about the seven keys to rejuvenating. I love that word, rejuvenating. <laughs> so can you go through them for me? Sure. Uh, well, it all starts with the mindset. The mindset is really the characteristic way in which we do things so that we may have uh, you know, a positive mindset, a negative mindset. You probably run into people whose first impulse is to shoot ideas down. Uh, you can have people whose mindset is uh, more active, more passive, and so on. I think the notion that we can control a big part of our destiny, and we can do it in a positive way, and we can do it in a proactive way, is uh, kind of a critical first step, because everything else follows that. If you don't believe that you can positively affect change in yourself, then, you know, you're not going to do some of these other things. Then, as we discussed, a uh, second key is the intellectual functioning, rejuvenating the, in the intellect, staying active, taking courses, involving yourself in discussions with other intellectually active people. And I also encourage in this regard that this be done not just with your peers, but with some of the, the brighter young people that you may know. Uh, don't feel that, that they're necessarily not interested, that, that they're not interested in speaking with you and learning from you and contributing to your development. Uh, 
So the intellect, uh, again, most of us worry about the possibility that there will be some decline. It's important to do something about it. Right. Uh, next is uh, healthy eating. Uh, I, I was going to put that up a, a little bit higher in my uh editor kind of discouraged me from it, saying that, that people uh, are going to have a problem with that. I, I always thought that that might be one of the simplest keys because you're totally dependent on yourself. It's not like calling somebody and having them accept you or things of this nature. We totally control that. Right, um, right. And I know people have bad habits in that regard, but habits are behaviors. They're not conditions like mm-hmm. asthma or diabetes or things of this nature, you know, we, we can control that. So that's the third key. Uh, the fourth key is what I call owning your body. And that's where we get into things like exercise and meditation. And for people who have been away from exercise for a while, you know, you don't have to train for the Olympics right away. The <laughs> point is, if you've been away from it, let's take some small steps in the right direction. And it may just be taking a daily walk around the block as a, as a start. Uh, you know, if you're going to the gym, you know, don't compare yourself with others who have been going on a regular basis. But get, get past that first step and do the exercise. And as I mentioned before, meditation is also a, a part of owning your body. And, you know, oh. for so many people uh, with, if they have, you know, in our country, when you have Medicare, most of the programs allow you to get the silver sneakers, which is a free uh, gym, uh, you know, uh, you get a chance to go to the gym for free and you have your own opportunity to go without having to pay your, your monthly fee like everybody else does. So if you've yeah. got it, use it. You know, that's that's one thing. All you have to do is uh, be on Medicare and you are entitled to get your silver sneakers. So that's yeah, a- Many supplements to Medicare have that. And I think yeah. it's almost committing. Uh, I mean, we're, we're both in fields where the term malpractice occurs. Uh, uh, I think it's like committing malpractice on your body to have this opportunity to do this for free yeah. and then not do it. Right. I know in my gym, you can uh, both uh, use the equipment, you can uh, take classes, uh, right. yoga, Pilates, things that can be very helpful. And I just think, you know, uh, th- there's so many things that people pay for. Yeah. And if you have the opportunity to get this for free, I think that's, that, that's again, I, I use the term malpractice. <laughs> you can use craziness or whatever, but I just think it's, it's yeah. something to, to right. not take advantage of. Right. Um, so we're on number five. And, which is what I call being a social being. And that really is, uh, you know, it's so easy to... Uh, turn on the TV or to go online or to get on uh, the phone and use it as a text machine. But, uh, and, you know, if that involves you with some people, that that may be uh, a helpful step, but it can't be your life if you want to uh, both uh, develop your brain effectively as well as uh, enjoy life more. People... Uh, you know, we are uh, a social being. We've been 
really one of the things that has enabled us to evolve more so than some of the other species is the fact that we've been able to cooperatively work together uh, to confront stresses uh, at an earlier time, uh, storms, animals, other tribes, and so on, and ultimately to build communities. And um, that doesn't stop when you get to be 60 or 70 or 80. So being a social being is an important key. There's one that uh, probably could be subsumed under it, but I've made it as a uh, separate key, which is called doing good. Uh, There is uh, a lot of evidence, there are a number of studies that show that when you get involved with helping others, uh, either on an individual kind of basis, uh, helping people, uh, driving people to medical appointments or helping them with paperwork or just being there to be a companion, that a lot of times that helps the, the helper more than the helpee right. in terms of, of of how you feel. And there's another thing that's that's been found and that's when you when good things when you project good things onto others, when you begin to be more involved, uh, there are uh, there's essentially a cascade of good things that come to you. People who like others tend to be liked themselves. And uh, for some people uh, who have spent their their lives, you know, focused on their jobs and so on, that may be a, a new skill to learn, but but it, it, it's learnable. And uh, then the other, uh, the, the final key is what I call appreciating the good that permeates your life. Uh, there's a neuropsychologist, Rick Hansen, who uh, coined the term taking in the good, which essentially means stopping for a few seconds and appreciating something that's going on that may not be necessarily that dramatic. Uh, you know, how many of us stop and think, and you're, you're in Southern California, so I think this is something you can relate to. How many stop and think that I drove all day I passed thousands of cars, and none of them hit me. That's a pretty good day. (laughs) Exactly. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Or just, you know, looking at a sunset, or even if you're, you know, in Philadelphia and it's going to snow or something, and just looking at the snow touching the leaves and just the sound of the silence, you know, there's so many things out in the nature. That's why I like your idea of going out for a walk, because if you're stuck inside, all you're seeing are the walls. But if you go outside, you see the sky, you see the birds, you see the the leaves, the trees, the grass, or or the snow, whatever. Yeah. And just everyday kinds of things, noticing, you know, what, what are the designs on the manhole covers? Uh, you know what? You know if you pass somebody who uh, you know fairly well, uh, you know being able to stop and and talk for a few seconds or minutes, which you wouldn't do if you were in the, in your house. Right. So, you know, so enjoying these things and enjoying even if it's snowing or raining, uh, the fact that you can come in and be warm. That uh, when it's time to take the shower. Uh, the water actually comes out as right. it's supposed to most of the time. It's the right temperature. So, 
things like that. Yeah. You know, an attitude of gratitude. Every night, my husband and I each tell each other three things that we're grateful for for that day. It doesn't have to be about each other. It could just be something like, gee, I'm so glad I had this guy help me today. You know, so my husband will say something like that. Or yeah. I'll say, gee, I'm so glad today my, my client settled this dispute. I feel so good. You know, just to be able to focus on that, especially before you go to bed, it leaves you with this positive thing instead of watching the news and seeing all the horrible stuff on TV, who's killed, who had an accident, whatever. But, um, you know, before when you were talking about number one, which does seem to me to be like the most important, the mindset, and mm-hmm. I know that you're, you, you're considered a positive psychologist, you know, people think that, um, you know, we have a propensity, which I know you know about with uh, neuropsychology, is we have a propensity to be negative. <clears throat> but we can choose how we want to be, can't we? Yes. I I think it's important to recognize that there actually is an inborn negativity bias. I mean, this has been scientifically demonstrated that this has evolved over the generations, that historically people have had to be alert to what can go wrong. Right. Uh, An attacking tribe might be, if we're living in an unsheltered environment, we have to be concerned about weather. We have to be concerned about wild animals. Uh, the fact is, though, that we've evolved as a species, and some of the things, not all of them and not all of them all the time, but some of the things are no longer something that we have to be alert to. So we have gotten to be very good, though, at noticing what can go wrong, but not very good at noticing what can go right. Yeah. And that's why, you know, when I wrote my first ebook, What Can Go Right, I <laughs> subtitled it the, the Thinking Person's Guide to Making Good Things Happen. Right. Uh, one of the goals in, in general of those of us in the positive psychology movement is to have the person feel that they're in charge of their own destiny. It doesn't always work, and sometimes things can go wrong. Uh, and do go wrong, but we have to at least acknowledge the possibility that the things can go right. And then we can take that next step of seeing what can we do to increase the chances of it happening. And that's what I uh, am trying to, to promote as we go through the aging process. Right. And, you know, we can choose our thoughts. So sometimes a negative thought will come into my head and I'll say to myself, that didn't happen yet. Come on, you know, this did not happen. Why don't you create how you want it to happen? So then I'll actually create something. Let's say I'm worried about how someone's going to act in a mediation, that they're going to attack the other person or whatever. Then I just, in my own mind, I see them smiling. I see them shaking hands. I walk in with an attitude of positivity. And often, you know, if you believe it, you'll see it. It's like uh, Wayne Dyer used to say, Believe it and you'll see it. <laughs> so, you yes, know, you, right? Isn't that part of the positive psychology? Yes, your thoughts come before your feelings. Uh, not everybody recognizes this, but you have to think something before you become anxious or depressed or hopeful or positive. And usually there's no downside of trying to anticipate things going right. You know, if things are going to go wrong, they're going to go wrong. But uh, usually uh, 
they can go wrong without hours and days of worrying about them going wrong first. You know? I know. It's like my husband will say, oh, we're never going to find a place to park. Look how crowded it is here. And I'll say, let's call in our parking angels, and we are going to find a place to park. And then we do find a place to park. So yeah. <laughs> I think well, we create our reality to a great extent. Obviously, bad things happen. There, I mean, there's things too. But then you look for the good in that, and you look for what you can do about it instead of, you know, belaboring, this is so horrible, this is so horrible. It's like, how are we going to find solutions to this, right? Well, yeah, and I think, Mari, one of the things that uh, your example brings up is that there's really a difference between something being too bad and something being tragic, you know, because the reality is, you know, maybe you won't find a place to park. (laughs) Right. And that would be too bad if you're going someplace and you don't find a place to park. First of all, the chances of that happening probably aren't too great because presumably you're not going to a place where you kind of know that the odds are against you. Right. So the chances are you're going to find a place. But if you don't, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, just walk you a know? little further, right? But we are yeah, just so. out of time, Dr. Kaiser. Uh, we've been speaking with Ron Kaiser. So, Ron, just give us your website, and it's time to go. Okay, the website is thementalhealthgym.com. Okay, and we will stay in touch and have you back again with your next book. So you have a great day, okay? Thank Thank you. you Pleasure talking with you. You too. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org. On the net, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.